This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Lisa Labas, and for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. We've made it to the end of another week, and if you weren't able to keep up with all the news, don't worry, we've got you covered. Despite a troubling national report card of U.S. schools, there was some positive news for education in Illinois. Chicago Public Schools leaders were gathered at a news conference today to celebrate the record-high 2022 graduation rate and scholarship totals. Yet another new challenger entered the mayoral race. Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson officially announced his bid for mayor. Chicago is an amazing city. It's a beautiful city. It's a rich city. It's a powerful city. It is my city. And ahead of the November elections, we heard from many of the candidates on the Illinois ballot. Representative Brady and his party are, are attacking our democracy with this assault on on voting rights, and I, I disagree with him on all playing right. that program. The one thing I like about my opponent is when he's wrong, he's really wrong. I support exceptions and regulation of big business abortion. Yes, I'd like to codify Roe v. Wade with the restrictions per Roe v. Wade, which is consistent with Illinois law. We've got a lot to cover, but fortunately, we've got a great panel to help break it down. With us today is Kim Agowen, commentator for WVON and attorney. Also with us is WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney, and we've got Paris Schutz, reporter and anchor at WTTW. Well, let's start off with the latest in the race for mayor of Chicago. Big news yesterday. Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson has thrown his hat into the ring. Paris, tell us about Johnson. Well, in addition to being Cook County Commissioner, he's an organizer for the Chicago Teachers Union. He just got a million dollars in backing from the National Teachers Union. It's very clear he is the Teachers Union's candidate uh, to run for mayor of Chicago. The Teachers Union is taking another crack at being a big political power player in Chicago. Four years ago, they backed Tony Preckwinkle. It didn't go so well. She lost big to Mayor Lori Lightfoot. So Brandon Johnson, uh, he, he hasn't. He also has gotten uh, support from other progressive groups. He's trying to kind of make the case that I'm not just the teachers' union candidate. Although it's very clear he's who they're going to back, and that makes it very interesting for someone like Congressman Chewy Garcia, who was kind of the progressive uh, beacon uh, several years ago. All those progressive groups are kind of uh, spoken for now, right. and he hasn't decided whether or not he's going to get in the race, even though there are people on his behalf passing out petitions just in case he does decide. But it seems like his path is going to be narrowing. Right, right, right. So, uh, you know, Johnson is backed by the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, like you mentioned, and this group making it very clear they want one of their own in that seat. Uh, what has Commissioner Johnson's time with this group looked like so far? What, how much oomph would you say a, a union endorsement gives a candidate? It didn't give Preckwinkle a whole lot, especially in that runoff four years ago. Uh, so there, the evidence to this point is that it it doesn't it doesn't 
give them it doesn't put them over the top, but um, they're they're banking on trying this again and 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 you know being the major polit- it's not just a teachers union there's other unions uh, and progressive groups getting behind him sure. this it, it, how far he goes in this race will prove how big a, a power broker that the teachers union and, and those progressive groups are and and i think it remains to be seen this is a wide open field uh, he is going to have money because of that support, but it does not guarantee that he's yeah. going to be the front runner. No, no, no. Yeah. So, Dave, there's been a feeling among some political watchers that none of the candidates in the race had the money or the clout to really be a legitimate challenger to Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Do you, do you think Johnson is any different? Well, I mean, it's it, it's to his advantage, obviously, to be coming in with the backing of the CTU. I mean, they, they are a force regardless of what their track record is. They have people on the ground, obviously. They have purse strings to play with in terms of, of handing out money. So, I mean, that gives him an advantage right now. But I do agree with, with Parrish that if, if Chewy Garcia enters the race, you know, that, that kind of it, it creates an entirely different dynamic where he would have to be regarded as, as the main front runner and challenging uh, Mayor Lightfoot. Okay, so we've now heard Chewy Garcia's name twice. Are we expecting more candidates to run for mayor? Is the do you assume that uh, Garcia is going to just is he a lock for entering? I don't think he is. I think there are people that are circulating petitions that want him to get in, and he will have a formidable base yet. Even though these progressive groups are kind of spoken for, he's still super popular in the Latino yeah. community uh, in Chicago. I would uh, also keep an eye on Pat Quinn, the former governor who kind of fancies himself as a progressive type of lion and someone that could get uh, support in the Latino community if Garcia doesn't get in. Uh, and, and I'm very skeptical that he is going to get okay. in. I, I really haven't seen a lot of evidence that he really wants to do this. Uh, I, I would say Pat Quinn might do it. Okay. All right. Well, so Dave, you've covered a lot of elections. How hard is it for a candidate to distinguish themselves when there are this many in the race? I think we've got nine now with Johnson entering yesterday. Well, I mean, it is hard. You're either coming at it with, with the experience and, and name recognition of having held office before, um, that, that's an advantage, or you're coming at it with, with lots and lots of money to throw into direct mail pieces and advertising to sort of heighten your name recognition. But, but you know, when you have a splintered group like this, the, the, the rule of thumb is it tends to mean that, that you know, it, it, it's an advantage for the incumbent because it splinters the, the opposition to the incumbent. Sure, sure. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about endorsements. Um, so we've got, you know, Brandon Johnson with the CTU endorsement and Mayor Lightfoot got Governor Pritzker's endorsement back in August. Dave, how much weight do you think this carries in the city of Chicago? Well, I think it could carry some weight because, I mean, if you go back and you just look at the raw vote totals, that's where, where I would look first. I mean, in 2018, Pritzker did quite well in the city and in Cook County broadly, but particularly in the city. I mean, in, in the race against Bruce Rauner, I mean, he had more than 722,000 votes. Votes, which that's that's about double what what Mayor Lightfoot got in her runoff election against Preckwinkle. So, right. you, you know, the, the the numbers, you know, Pritzker brings with it the name recognition and, and he's a quite valuable endorsement for her to have. Uh, and she's, she's also got an endorsement from trade uh, unions, the more kind of uh, working class unions. The progressive groups are not going with her. She was a progressive candidate four years ago. I don't think she's going to be the self-styled progressive candidate this time around. She's almost putting together that old Rahm Emanuel coalition. Okay. All right. Let's go to the city budget. Mayor Lightfoot the, uh, uh, earlier this week unveiled a $16 billion spending plan. And right now we've got budget hearing after budget hearing. 
hearing. So uh, tell me a little bit about what the main pieces of the budget plan include. Well, in this budget, I think the one thing that people are really trying to pay attention to is what it doesn't include, and that's the property tax increases that people were expecting were going to take place. Um, But it definitely is focusing on what, you know, we need for public safety because there are a lot of issues with that. Also, mental health, because years ago, you may remember this, they shut down a lot of mental health clinics. Um, So I know that a lot of people will want to see more money in that area, more focus on homelessness in particular. Um, But also this idea of public transportation. So that's another piece of the budget with the CTU in particular. And there has been an issue with CTU. Um, There has been a lot of public safety issues there. There have been a lot of what we call ghost ghost buses. And those of us who take it, you're waiting for a bus or you're waiting for an L and it never comes, that type of thing. Um, There has been disputes about the actual chairman of CTA just coming and actually sitting before during, which is standard practice for a budget hearing. You want to hear from the actual department head, but he has been a no-show to the degree that when one of the aldermen wore a a costume the other day, he he basically (laughs) was a CTA ghost. (laughs) Um, So there there are some pieces that definitely uh, people are looking at and just trying to figure out what what are the real priorities of this administration. Okay. I I just want to correct myself. I said the uh, the budget was unveiled earlier this week. It was earlier this month. Yes. Uh, So, uh, Paris, uh, tell me a little bit about some of the other main pieces that you're seeing. Well, an interesting part of this is a $200 million extra payment into the pension system, so a payment above what they owe actuarially. And progressive groups are not happy about that, so they're going to be wrestling over that. They want that money to go toward uh, direct programs to help people, people who are suffering. The thing about that is you're making the, the pension systems in Chicago we know have been horribly underfunded Underfunded. for so many years. And $200 million now turns into a billion dollars in 10 years, and that's a billion dollars you can't spend on social programs in 10 years. So any fiscal watchdog will say, if you have the opportunity right now in a time where there are revenues coming in that you didn't imagine, then you've got to pay down some of these debts, even though the more attractive short-term option is to sort of uh, give the money uh, directly to people for relief. It's going to be interesting to see whether or not progressive groups wrestle that out of her uh, as they debate this budget. And then also there's an increase uh, in the police budget, which sure. progressive groups are not happy about. No. That, and they might they might have to wrestle and wrangle over that before they have a final deal. Right. I just wanted to find out, do you, do you think this is going to be an easy budget to pass? Is there going to be a lot of fighting? Do, do aldermen and the mayor see eye to eye? There's no property taxes and there's no cuts and it's an election year. And the thing that people running for office do not want to have to run on our property tax increases or cuts. Mm-hmm. So my initial thought was it would be fairly easy to, to pass, uh, but it does seem like if progressive groups are unified on this stuff, then she might just have to negotiate a bit, but ultimately it will pass. It, the, I, I'm not sure whether every single progressive on the city council is unified and wants to cause trouble. So. Okay. All right. I think it's going to ultimately pass. It, it, it might be tweaked a bit. That's my final uh, analysis of that. Okay. All right. I want to shift to schools and education. Now, the nation's report card came out this week. Illinois students are still performing below pre-pandemic levels on state reading and math for the second year in a row. Uh, Kim, I want to ask you, what else did the report card show? Tell me some big takeaways. Well, one of the biggest takeaways when looking at the report card was the level of absenteeism. So students right. that are just... I don't know if the word is flagrant or frequent or or what have you, but just that number is 
sky high. The percentage was really high. Um, but we knew that coming out of COVID-19 and the major changes that had to take place during then, especially in, in Chicago public schools and Chicago public schools not being ready with really a remote program, just, you know, getting caught off guard with that, trying to get everyone some type of computer in school, you know, that type of thing. We right. knew that there was going to be some loss of learning. But to this degree, I mean, it, it really is. It's in some cases they're thinking that students may have lost literally two years of, of learning. Oh, and were all racial and ethnic groups, uh, they saw scores drop since 2019. How, how much of a cause of for concern is this? Well, it's definitely a cause for concern because, honestly, uh, the, the education in the state of Illinois was not going that well before COVID-19, if we're being honest. If you look at, a, for example, in the city of Chicago in a ward like mine, I'm in the sixth ward, mm-hmm. um, there is only one school that is rated as being passing. Out one, of how many? Out of a at lot. least, yeah, there are, several, there are at least 20 to 25 mm. schools, elementary and high schools. So th- this is an issue, and this is something, it's a crisis point, because th- the, you have to build people to be able to perform and to mm-hmm. be competitive. So this is an issue that, that we're really going to have to take stock. How do you get those math scores up? How do you get those reading scores up? It's not all COVID. Okay. All right. Uh, and and. Chicago did have a little positive news to share about schools. Graduation rates are up and school staffing is up despite a continued decline in enrollment. Uh, Paris, what do you make of this good news out of CPS? I I think it's a bit of a silver lining. I mean, as Kim said, uh, scores are still not where they were pre-pandemic and uh, absenteeism is still alarming. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's clear that the, the shutdowns and, and the pandemic cost uh, kids a lot in Chicago public schools uh, and everywhere else. I mean, a, a, any gain they're going to celebrate, that's good, sure. but there's still a long way to go. Um, and, you know, there was a huge problem during the pandemic with absenteeism. The CPS lost track of thousands and thousands and thousands of students. Yeah. Um, so 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 it's a big uphill climb. Uh, I don't I don't think I don't think they've crossed the finish line yet in terms of of getting back where they need to be. All right. All right. Kim, can you jump in here? You know, enrollment dropping. What do you think that could bring about three or five years down the line? Well, with the enrollment dropping and it is uh, a very not steep, but it's a huge number in which the enrollment is dropping. We are right now in what you would call a moratorium on school closures. So we have got school buildings right now that are built many years ago, ready for to accept a thousand students and there are 20 students roaming the halls. I think that we are looking at another push in a few years when that moratorium is up where there will be another round of schools, school closings that are going to be proposed. And they'll propose it on two levels, not just the idea that the school enrollment is down, but also the performance of the schools. We are okay. we're in a desperate situation with the performance of how schools and how they're being children are being educated. And, and CEO Pedro Martinez has alluded to some plans, some plan to sort of utilize those underused buildings that that would not be shutting them down. I'm not I don't think he's rolled it out yet. He's he's kind of teased this like big plan that they've come up with sure. where they're going to refocus those schools or, or or something like that. And so we're, we're still awaiting that. Do you uh, Kim, do you want to comment about school staffing being up? You know, how many more teachers are we talking about and are they getting into neighborhoods that are that are needed? Well, yeah. So the school staffing coming up, well, we know that one of the things that has happened with staffing, not just with schools, but in every area, every arena after COVID-19. I don't know what it was about COVID-19 
made people reevaluate where they wanted to work, how they wanted to work. And maybe it was the idea that so many things were closed and they lost jobs and they just said, I want to go into a better situation. We know that that was desperate. So it is a, it's really good to see that staffing is up. When we were at a point in some of the school systems where they were saying, you don't even have to have a degree to teach. We'll take you out of high school. We'll take you if you're a veteran with no education, all of those different things. So it's, it's good to see that staffing is up because I will tell you in some schools, there are classes. There's one school that I heard of in particular where there are nine classes that did not have a permanent teacher. So those children were subjected, have been and are still are subjected to substitute teachers for the entire school year. And that is no way to run a school. The Sun-Times, WBEZ, and WTTW hosted a Senate candidate forum last night with Democratic U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth and Republican challenger Kathy Salvi. Paris, you co-hosted that forum. What were some of the more interesting moments? Well, first, I just want to thank the Sun-Times and WBZ. It was a lot of fun to work with everybody, uh, the brilliant people at, at your organization. So I hope we get to do that again. Um, the two couldn't be more far apart on issues like you heard, uh, abortion, uh, Kathy Selvey didn't really answer the question whether or not she would vote for the Lindsey Graham bill that would uh, outlaw all abortion federally uh, after 15 weeks. You know, Republicans in the past had said, let's leave this to the states. So Salvi tried to sort of tout her bona fides as being against abortion, but did not want to sort of answer. But do you want this left to the states or do you want uh, the federal government to uh, to control this? Uh you know, Duckworth pounced on that. Duckworth, um, you know, uh, obviously has has supported President Biden. Kathy Salvi is is trying to pin all the problems of inflation on Democrats uh, and President Biden. Uh, Duckworth mentioned a lot of bills that she has sponsored. I think one thing that was interesting was that she has sponsored a lot of bills, and they sound like they'd be very helpful, but they haven't got, gotten anywhere. They haven't had right. any momentum. Not to say that she hasn't had some successes. She sponsored the the lead pipe replacement program, which, as we know, in Chicago is a huge deal. So there's going to be federal money for that. So significant accomplishments there. But a lot of things that she mentioned are her accomplishments, but they haven't gone anywhere. In terms of Kathy Salvi, you know, the, she – she was recruited to run by Ron Gidwitz, a big GOP donor, and no national GOP, the National Republican Senatorial Committee, Gidwitz himself, they're not giving her any support or any money. That signals they just don't think she has a chance to all win. All right, all right. So, Dave, you were watching the debate last night. Paris, you did pretty great, right? No. Paris, Paris did so fabulous. Good. No, yeah. no. So good. I mean, it's a little bit like herding cats, and you, right. you, you did the, quite well with that. traffic cop, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what stood out to you in the in the issues last night? Well, I mean, you know, the one point of agreement between the two candidates was on the Chicago Bears moving to Arlington Heights. You know, that's go if they want to go, go if they want to go and and don't let the door hit you. I mean, it was kind of a, you know, for Duckworth that Arlington Heights is in her old uh, congressional district. So there's some loyalties there. Uh, Salvi is a suburbanite as well. So I I think both of them were, were, you know, saying, go ahead, do it. I think, um, you know, what, what you're looking for in a race like this are breakthrough moments, things that are going to go viral. And there just weren't a lot of those things that, you know, it, it was an opportunity that the pressure was really on Salvi to try to score those breakthroughs. And mm-hmm. I just don't think her you know, her debate performance wasn't bad, but it, it, it also lacked that kind of thing that people would be talking about the next day and the day after that and the day after that. It, in right. fact, Duckworth probably landed the biggest singer when Salvi uh, said she was against Biden's uh, student debt relief program. Duckworth says, well, I think it's hypocritical. You took PPP loans that you didn't ever have to pay off. So why is it good for you, your, her law firm, and not good uh, for students? Got it. Got it. All right. So one topic that was touched on during the debate was immigration reform. I've got a clip of tape. Let's take a listen. 
I think that we have to do things like make sure that people pay fees, fines, and penalties for having broken the law to be here. Find a way for them to work and earn and pay into Social Security and, and pay taxes so that they're not being taken advantage by being paid under the table. We have a humanitarian crisis at our border. Three million people in the last two years have crossed this border and they are dying by the day and it's underreported. All right. So, Kim, this is a topic that's top of mind for voters, you know, certainly in border states. But what about Illinois? Is this something that Illinois voters are talking about? Um, Well, this is an interesting election, okay? Um, because there's very low energy around this election just in general. And the number one issue that everyone has made the issue is abortion in the state of Illinois, which right now is is it's going to be a protected um, health care decision, right? Um, but immigration, I will say that it has come more to the forefront now in the city of Chicago that we have received over 4,000, around 4,000 people who have been bused here from, right, Texas from Texas and other places. And for the first time, um, a, a sanctuary city, which is what we call ourselves in the way that we operate, has had to deal with this crisis firsthand and is running out of spaces. We were just talking about the utilization of school buildings that were shut down. Well, there's an alderman in the 20th Ward, Jeanette Taylor, who was told to try and figure out how to repurpose one of those school buildings for some of these people and in, in the middle of an African-American ward. And she's like, we, we don't even have the language services for people here. So now that we're trying to figure this out, I don't think that it is right for this election, mm -hmm. but for this next election... Um, coming up in the municipal election next year, I think that this may be one of those issues, especially when we're talking about whether or not non-citizens will get a right to vote, for example, which has happened in other cities. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, anybody, what, what do you think are the top issues motivating voters in Illinois right now? Dave? Well, I mean, I think the the economy is probably front and center. Yeah. I mean, in our polling earlier in the month, that's what that showed. I mean, abortion, ironic, well, I don't, ironically, it's not the right word, but but surprisingly, it was pretty far down on the list. I mean, it was uh, drawing not the level of support that you would think that it would draw given what happened. And I think part of that is due to the fact that, you know, it's all about timing. And when the court uh, made its decision on the Dobbs case, that was back around Memorial Day. And and so, it, you know, people have kind of gotten accustomed to the, the shock of that. I, I think the shock of it has, has settled in. And so, uh, you know, I think people really now are feeling the impact of and, and uncertainty about about what you know, what life looks like six months from now. Will they have a job or not? And, and you know, and when the economy, when, when economy, uh, when, when it's an issue like this, it tends not to favor incumbents. And so that's, that's kind of the, you know, the rule of thumb here. I don't know how it's going to play out in Illinois right. necessarily. The right. top of the Republican ticket, Darren Bailey, they've gone all in on crime and the Safety Act as the main issue. I mean, all the ads that are run by this PAC, who is run by the radio host Dan Proft, funded by uh, to the tune of tens of millions of dollars from the billionaire uh, packaging magnate Dick Uline, they're all about scaring people about crime. So they've gone all in on, on that issue. The thing is, they went all in on that issue in the Republican primary. Irvin went all in on that issue, and he finished third. It was a mistake. It was the economy that was the big issue. So it might prove again to be a mistake to f focus all of your resources on the crime issue when in the polling, as Dave said, abortion is kind of low. Crime is below the economy in terms of voter concerns in, sure. in these polls uh, that have come out. And, you know, Mr. Proft has made millions of dollars in fees from uh, Dick Uline uh, funding all these ads. Uh, 
uh, in favor of Darren Bailey. All yeah, right, all James right. Carville, 1992. It's the economy <laughs> Right, right, yeah. exactly. Right. All right, you know, in Pennsylvania, we've got this tight Senate race between Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman and Republican challenger Dr. Mehmet Oz, who is backed by President Trump. Now, if Oz wins, the Senate could flip to GOP control. Dave, do you think Duckworth's seat is pretty secure in the blue column? Well, I mean, you hear, hear pundits nationally talking about uh, Republicans gaining momentum around the country a little bit. You know, there'd been talk about a big red wave and, and then that kind of eased off a little bit. And now it's starting to, to, to come back a little bit. But, uh, you, you know, the groups that I tend to look to, the nonpartisan groups like the Cook Political Report, uh, the University of Virginia's uh, Sabato Crystal Ball, they still have the, the Illinois U.S. Senate race in the safe D category, mm-hmm. meaning that it's it's as safe as it can be for a Democrat. So I think, you know, that's uh, that's one reality. The polls that we've seen taken in Illinois bear that out. Uh, uh, Emerson uh, College and, and WGN is most recently, they were most recently in the field. They had a 49-39 edge for Duckworth. And that, that corresponds pretty much with what our polling uh, with the Sun-Times showed earlier in the month. It was about a 50 to 36 spread. So, okay. you know, again, it's a big, a big a big gap for Salvi to make up. Right. So if we're talking a little bit about polling across the country, some of it suggests that Republicans are gaining momentum in House and Senate races going into the November midterms. And I would love to know, do you do you trust the polls, Paris? Gosh, uh, to, to some extent, but I don't think we should rely on them uh, entirely. They're a snapshot in time. Sure. It's not it's it's not concrete. I think 2016 ta- taught us all that. I, you know, I interviewed uh, Senator Durbin um, earlier this week, and I said, "So, what? What are? What is your intel telling you about whether your party is going to keep dissent?" He says it's 50 because there's these handful of races, like you mentioned, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Ohio, Wisconsin, that that just seem to be teetering around that 50-50, and it's just anyone's guess uh, which way they're going to go. And I, the Fetterman Oz race in Pennsylvania is interesting. Obviously, Fetterman appeared in that debate. He's 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 very impaired because of the stroke he suffered. Yeah. It's very fair for voters to ask, uh, you know, whether that concerns them. But I do have to compare that to uh, former Republican Illinois U.S. Senator Mark Kirk, mm-hmm. who suffered a pretty bad stroke while in office. Right. And he was missing in action for several months. And most of the coverage of him was positive and inspirational. And, you know, folks uh, were welcoming him when he made it back to the Capitol. They were cheering and, and applauding and um, it's it's interesting the, the contrast between that. He, he wasn't running for office at that time, right? But this isn't unprecedented. Where but he didn't win, right? No, when he ran. He, Duckworth beat him later. Yeah. You know, so Duckworth ended up beating him later. But yeah. um, but the coverage of him, the news coverage was was mostly inspirational, and he's he's he suffered this thing, and he's he's on the mend, and he's and he's making his comeback. Right, right. So Kim, what do you take on the polls? Do you put any trust in those? I I don't know who they poll. I've never right. been polled, so <laughs> that's one of the reasons yeah. why I'm Good like, I, like, who do they poll? Um, how are those pe- people feeling on that day? And yeah, because after 2016, I just have no faith in polls anymore. All right. All right. So let's get back to candidate forums. Paris, you were very busy this week, but also was your colleague, WTTW's Amanda Vinicky, who hosted a forum between two of the three candidates for attorney general. We had Democratic incumbent Kwame Raoul and Republican Tom DeVore. And not surprisingly, a major topic there was eliminating cash bail, the Safety Act. Uh, Paris, give us a rundown. I know you were watching. Yeah, no, and great job to my colleague, Amanda Vinikin. Also, great job to Tinas Fondelis, who, who co-hosted uh, with me last night. The Safety Act is a big uh, point of contention between those two. Uh, you heard in that soundbite Attorney General Raul say 
Uh, he supports it. He said that there need to be some tweaks. The Democrats look like they are going to get together after the election to sort of tweak the language uh, to get rid of some of the uncertainty and ambiguity there. Tom DeVore obviously uh, echoing the other states, Republicans, saying that this whole thing is, is a big disaster waiting to happen, that it's going to let uh, dangerous people back on the streets and it's going to increase crime. DeVore really um, kind of built his fame on opposing Pritzker's you know, COVID mandates, you know, taking Pritzker to court. He utilized that to then um, run for office. One of the so, – so those things were expected, the fact that they were going to differ on that. I thought it was interesting that DeVore – on the question of will you enforce the Chicago Police Department consent decree, which the attorney general has a key role here mm-hmm. in enforcing this, this very big police reform item. Divorce said, of course I would. That sounds to me a little bit more moderate than um, than than others in his party. Uh, so it might be his way of trying to tack to the center a little bit. We sure. know that his his aunt, his stance against mask mandates uh, stokes the base. But to to win in Illinois, you, you're going to have to have more than the conservative base. And to say something like, well, yes, I would I would continue the road to police reform uh, for the Chicago Police Department. Maybe, maybe you try to pick off a few moderate voters. But again, however much we trust polling, the polling doesn't have that race uh, very okay. close. Although, like, there's such a range in these polls. Like, there's a poll that says Governor Pritzker's up by 22 and then another one that says he's up by 9. <laughs> you, you just to, don't know. <laughs> you have to be careful because these campaigns will put out their own push polls. And some of that is designed to say, hey, see, look, this race is a mm-hmm. lot closer than we thought. Give us more money. You know, so you just have to be skeptical where these polls are coming from. Right. Kim, I want to get your breakdown on about the Safety Act. Tell, tell me a little bit about what that does and for listeners who well, might not be familiar. Sure. Just a little bit of background, though. In 2020, when we were right in the middle of COVID-19 and also this uh, coming off of the George Floyd um, murder, um, it was a time at which uh, the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus really buckled down to try and come up with some ways in which to improve in four areas, criminal justice, uh, economics, health care, and I believe education. Those were four areas. So with criminal justice, they came up with the Safety Act, and it has many provisions. No one talks about any of the rest of them. Right. Um, right. But the one that they talk about is the elimination of cash bail, which has been a movement across the country with many of the prosecutors coming into office. So this idea of eliminating cash bail so that right now when you if you go before a judge for being accused of some type of crime, the judge can decide to set a, a cash amount that you have to post before you can get out. Um, but in this case, the judge will only no longer can give you a cash bail, but will only decide whether or not you are a threat to society, whether or not you should be let out or should you stay inside of jail, which is something they were supposed to do even before. So it really is not that much of a change. However, it has been skewed and it has been turned into what people are calling a purge law. And and they're saying that on January 1st, there are going to be all kinds of people let out of jail and not put in jail who are committing murders and crimes and <laughs> sexual assaults. And it, it it's just the way in which the, the information is being spun out of control about this. The messaging has been just not very good. Is they, People who have been in favor have been playing a lot of catch up with it. Yeah. So, Dave, what's what's your take on how this uh, race for attorney general is shaping up? Well, I mean, I think these down ballot races, the attorney general, the treasurer, the, the secretary of state, they're all they're all kind of, you know, you see those generic ballot questions that, that you know, are, are you going to vote for a Democratic member of Congress or a Republican member of com- Congress? They're a good barometer of where 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 people's political mood is. These down ballot races are that, that that's our version of them in Illinois. Sure. And I think the fact that, you know, you have 
you, you know, you 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 have uh, both Pritzker and you have Duckworth with seemingly these large, large leads. Uh, you know, you, you have to question whether they're going to have coattail effects from from that. And then, you know, you go back to 2020 uh, and even 2016, you look at the presidential performance here that Donald Trump had and, and he, he just got swamped in both elections. So yeah. the fact that Illinois ha- has this track record of voting Democratic, I don't see anything right now that, that suggests to me that it's going to. Well, no, and I agree with you, Dave, yeah. but the one thing to keep your eye on is turnout. I mean, yeah. turnout could make the difference. Like, you know, Republican base is motivated to turn out. And and will uh, Democratic voters in the city and in the suburbs turn out? You know, we see turnout depress when their party is in power. And, you know, right now in terms of early voting uh, in Chicago, the numbers are anemic. I mean, now we just had all the sites in the 50 wards open up, but but it's very, very, very low right now. Well, the flip side of these polls, too, that you have to kind of wonder about, if you're in a campaign and you have a double-digit lead, it's sort of like the sports analogy of playing with a lead. It's hard to do because it it kind of, uh, you know, it can tamp down enthusiasm. And and that's that's a thing that, that all the campaigns have to be wary. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. So l- let's talk a little bit about voting, Paris. You just mentioned that, you know, Chicago open. It's got now, what, 100 voting sites open? Uh, I think it's 52 because you've got one in each ward and then you've okay, got the two super, super sites. Super OK. Site. And, yeah. and so for early voting, Chicagoans, can, you can go anywhere. Well, for early voting, you can go to, to one of the designated spots in your ward. So depending on what ward, like the 47th ward, the 6th ward, the 5th ward, there's going to be one spot, you know, a library or a school. And as I alluded to before, the, the numbers were like, I guess as of a day or two ago, were like 5,000 early votes. I mean, that is really small. Now, it was only the super site that was uh, available. And there have been a couple, 160,000 mail-in requests, I think, something along that. So that that's a bigger number. But, you know, on election day, um, because of remap, um, the the precincts have changed. Yeah. So folks might be a little confused about where they're supposed to go. Right. There might be uh, a lack of election judges. There might be some bottlenecks, which is more argument to vote early uh, to avoid the, the lines and stuff on actual election day. Right. I, I want to touch a little bit about uh, Secretary of State race uh, since Jesse White has been in that office for, you know, the last mm-hmm. Hundred years, so um, and top vote getter, right? He is he a top vote getter, absolutely. Yeah. So now you know, Paris. You also uh, hosted a f- candidate forum for two of the three candidates for that office. You were talking with Democrat Alexi Janulius and uh, Republican Dan Brady. So t- tell us briefly the major issues and topics relevant to that. That race. How long do I have to wait in line when I'm going <laughs> yeah. to get my driver's I license? I hate the that, DMV. That is right. the issue. I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the Secretary of State's office in Illinois is very interesting. I mean, it oversees so many things. It's a chief record keeper uh, of the state of Illinois. Um, like for reporters, when you want to go in and see like who owns a business or, you know, you go to the Secretary of State's website and they have all that information. It's a chief librarian of the state. The thing that it doesn't do that it does in many other states is is run elections. So it doesn't have a huge role in elections here. So the DMV is or the motor service driver services facilities, I like to say, is is the is the big uh, function here. And they both are kind of in agreement. We want to modernize it. You know, we want to, we want to cut down the lines. We want uh, Janulius has said that you know we want uh, electronic uh, licenses and title. Right. Brady in the past has not agreed with that. Although this week he said, oh yeah, I want to do that too. Uh, so they all, they have similar um, ideas to sort of uh, streamline that office. It's it's interesting. The last we heard from Janulius publicly was when he lost that Senate race in 2010 to Mark Kirk. The issues of his family bank that went under came up. The issues of his role as treasurer 
um, the Bright Start uh, College Savings Program. There was an investment fund that had lost money. Uh, I mean, it, it was during the recession there. So Janulis has had to kind of defend those old kind of attack lines. Dan Brady, it doesn't. He's a Republican. It doesn't seem like he's uh, you know riding the coattails of Darren Bailey. I don't think he's holding hands with Darren Bailey. Uh, he's not seeking Trump's endorsement. He's he's kind of been a more kind of establishment. Uh, Illinois Republican says very clearly, of course, Joe Biden won the election. So, uh, again, a, a more moderate. I should say that, you know, they, they're both eminently qualified. I mean, Janulius led a big state department, the treasurer's office. Dan Brady's been a legislator for 22 years. They both came with very specific ideas of what they want to do. Um, and so it, it, it's just a matter of um, – you know, this one might just come down to party lines. You know, mm-hmm. whether you vote Democrat on the ticket, you'll probably vote for Janulius. Republican, you'll probably vote for Brady. But Brady's trying to get some crossover votes. Yeah. And the Secretary of State's office is not that political. All right. And one other point. I'm sorry, I've been talking too long. <laughs> Before Jesse White, and he's been there 24 years, let's remember that this office was a launch pad yes. to Illinois governor. And you have to wonder um, with Janulius whether that, he's, he's very ambitious, whether that's what he wants. You're going to command an office. He didn't say that's what he, he wanted. He said, no, that's not what I want. Uh, you're commanding an office of 4,000 workers that in the past, in the distant past, might have been utilized on weekends to go, you know, do political work for you. For So it's very attractive. But it gives you, for the, that most, reason. It gives you the most name recognition yeah. sure. any of the Everybody positions. Everybody sees your, your name. name is right. everywhere. And exactly. It's very, very offices. public. But it's so interesting. Like you go back in ancient history when, when Jesse White was first running for this office in 1998. You know, the issues were so different back then because, like, you were talking about corruption yeah. in that office because George Ryan had come out of that office and, and it was pay to play and, and, and we had the, right. the, the Willis crash and right. on and on. And it's just so, like, sedate right now. <laughs> you know, we're just talking about lines, which I guess is a good thing. Yeah. It that is, prim- it that is. primary was not sedate. So some of the Chicago police news this week was a police officer was found to have ties to the far right group, the Proud Boys. But the department chose not to fire him. Uh, Paris, how are members of the city council reacting? Not happy at all, especially the progressive members, you know, worried that someone who is sympathetic to the Proud Boys, which has been designated, uh, I think, by the Southern Poverty Law Center and the ADL as a hate group, Mm -hmm. anti-Semitic, racist, uh, homophobic, all those things. It's very curious because the police department defended just suspending this officer, saying they don't have much evidence that these allegations are true, that he has these ties. But the inspector general said, well, you better go back and investigate again because we're pretty clear in our own investigation. He lied about uh, talking to the FBI about mm-hmm. ties to the Proud Boys. Uh, and there is a preponderance uh, of evidence I don't know what the gap is here. I don't know why the police department's own internal investigation differs so much from the inspector general's investigation. But if you listen to David Brown, the superintendent, they say it's – yeah, he, this officer, uh, they were only going to suspend him like five days. He said, Let, suspend me 120 days. I know this looks bad. Let, you know, So they're kind of making him out to be a good guy that was caught up in, in a misunderstanding. The inspector general's – pretty clear that uh, this is troubling and needs to be looked at further. Yeah, Kim, what do you make of this? It's just a 120-day suspension. Well, because the information that's coming from both sides and and both sides being on the same side, which is so confusing and frustrating, Mm -hmm. um, because they're saying we do have evidence, but the superintendent says we don't have evidence, we don't even know who the person is. So, People are we're serving with this person. We don't even know who they are. We know that he he or she, I don't even know if it's a male. I mean, they are suspended. Um, and it's troubling because we're talking about 
a police department that is literally under investigation for not just use of, of excessive force issues, but race, racist practice issues mm-hmm. and with a consent decree that has been in place for several years now that we never meet any of the benchmarks on time. We just fired the guy who was actually overseeing the whole process. How do you trust the police department? How do you get the average citizen in the city of Chicago to trust the police department when they see things like this? And, and this is one of the, like Paris just said, Southern Poverty Law Group. FBI, everyone has labeled this organization anti-Semitic and also, of course, just a white supremacist group. Yeah. Dave, do you want to weigh in on this? Well, I mean, it just seems like it's one of those things where if if that if those relationships exist like that, I mean, do, do you want to be the person who has a, a problem and, and come face to face with an, an individual like this? Right. Like, I think that's a legitimate question that, that the police department has to answer. Um, and, and, you know, none of us are, are real comfortable with what happened on January 6th and, and the role that the, the, that group played there. So, I mean, it's, it's, these are all legitimate questions. And the, can, the, the council, I think, is, is uh, you know, they're not going to let this go. And so I'm so also curious why the mayor is, you know, he's ba- she's basically backing her police superintendent. Yeah. Saying, you know, it's— She said it was about accountability. It was about accountability. And, you know, and, and the mayor who, who said, like, don't think as a, as a black woman and a lesbian, I'm not going to uh, stand for any kind of nonsense. So it is curious why she's not joining the chorus to get more answers here, maybe because politically, um, you know, she she just doesn't want to be seen going against her police superintendent as this election gears up. All right. All right. Let's uh, move over to a couple of business stories. Uh, Crane's Chicago business reported most Chicago employers are requiring people to come into the office at least one day a week. That isn't a whole lot. Uh, Dave, what do you think about uh, pandemic work from home or at least hybrid work? Is that here to stay? Well, it sure feels like it's here to stay. I mean, yeah. I, I but but I read something the other day that you know if we're heading into a recession, there was a survey of employers that uh, that, that suggested that perhaps these folks that are getting used to the hybrid model work from home should be maybe a little worried about their job security mm-hmm. because you know out of sight, out of mind means that that employers might not be knowing what you're up to and knowing what production you're you're having. So I mean, I think people are getting used to the idea of working from home and and not wanting to give it up. But but I think you know it's. Uh, it's just it's just hard to get your head around when you you're out on the expressways on, on you, you don't have the same kind of level of traffic as mm-hmm. you did before the trains the 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 the, the CTA the, everything it just feels it feels like it's here to stay yeah do you Kim do you have a take on work at home pandemic <laughs> traffic I, I everything I think that people were thrown into a situation so many were just cut loose from jobs in particular but then the idea that they had to work from home they got used to not making that hour-long commute going and coming someplace. And I thought they were doing a pretty good job of having high productivity because, you know, trying to figure out how to do that at home, it sounded like it was working out. I think people have gotten a little spoiled by it and and don't necessarily want to come back to the rat race that's in the downtown area. But that translates into fewer um rentals downtown it yeah. it, mm-hmm. it definitely depresses the economy for your down you can park downtown now yeah you know so that's that's a very strange situation mm-hmm. to be in the, the loop <laughs> right. still feels like a ghost town yeah, on many does. days and there's all these restaurants and other businesses that relied on all the foot traffic i mean i'm old-fashioned i like being at work i like being around people in person i really i just i can't do zoom i i just like just nod off or get distracted too easily <laughs> So I I really hope that that 
more people decide to be in if they feel safe, you know, in the office more because we need to socialize. We need to be together. We need to bounce ideas off each other. Okay. All right. So I promised at the top of the show that we were going to talk about karaoke. All right. So uh, the Chicago Sings Karaoke Competition is now entering the third round. We've got six finalists. Are are you paying attention to this one, Dave? You look like all excited about it. Yeah? No? Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? All right. Paris, are you excited? You're a singer. Uh, Yeah. I I, I play the keyboard and sing, uh, and uh, I haven't paid any attention. I just don't like to do karaoke. I just... just you know, maybe maybe Frank Sinatra or something like crooning. Maybe I would do that because I don't. Do I could see that. Yeah, I so can see I, that. I, I, I haven't. I, it's great for this. It's fun. It's it's a it's a great thing. All right. What what about Kim? Are you paying attention to? I'm it? not paying attention no. to it at all. I do. I will say that on the occasion that I do get to go and do karaoke and torment people with my voice. <laughs> my song of choice is Kiss by Prince. So I will say that I do enjoy like screaming at the top of my lungs for that song. <laughs> uh, people do ask me to stop. They do? Oh, see, I would not. I would not. You know, and you're certainly welcome to, and uh, you know, no, my mom's bust listening. it out She's right telling now. Me to stop right now. <laughs> but so here's what's going to go on. So we've got a round, you know, six finalists, third round, and uh, they're going to perform now in front of a panel of celebrities. I don't know. Does this mean like Common and Chance the Rapper are going to hang out and choose? I have no idea. That's wild. Right? So the top former will be crowned at Chicago's karaoke champion and get 5000 so I know your your karaoke song, Kim. Dave, do you do you have a go to karaoke? Well, a go to. I think the one that last brought the house down was the. the ever hear of the Trogs? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wild thing. Wild yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Oh, Paris. So Frank Sinatra, maybe. Sure. Let's do. Um, uh, what's the song? It's quarter to three. There's no one. Uh, set him yes. up, Joe. Uh, <laughs> one for my yes. baby. One more for the road. Yes. 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 Yeah. Oh, that's very nice. What about okay. you? Me? Oh, I am. I, I have to admit, I haven't done karaoke that often, but I think one of my, uh, I'd probably do anything from Motown or um, um, Waterloo by ABBA. There <laughs> you probably go. Be I go to. So, all right, we need to leave it there. I've had so much fun. Thank you so much for everybody for being Thanks, here. Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. Uh, we've got Kim Agowan, a commentator for WVON and attorney. Dave McKinney, state politics reporter at WBEZ. Paris Schutz, a reporter and anchor for WTTW. Thanks again. Have a great weekend, everybody. You too. Thank you, you so much. Hey, They're playing your song. They're playing yeah, my there, song. There it is. It's Waterloo. Thanks, everybody. Sasha will be back on Monday. This episode of Reset was produced by Dan Tucker, Michael Liptrot, Brenda Ruiz, Micah Yason, and Andrew Merriweather. It was edited by Ethan Schwab. Want to get caught up on the news every Friday? Then subscribe to our podcast. And when you do, leave us a rating. It really helps people find us. That's all for Reset. I'm Lisa Dabas in for Sasha Ann Simons. We'll see you next week.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.